Grace and peace be yours from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for this, the first Sunday after Christmas, is from the Gospel reading. And St. Luke records these words, that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So far our text, dear friends in our Lord Jesus. The days of Christmas, especially those days leading up to Christmas, are filled with the aura of expectation. They're filled with the aura of promise. As the big day approaches, the expectation, certainly in those tiny tots with their eyes all aglow, the expectation heightens. Waiting they have been. Excited they have been. Living on a promise they have been. A promise that they hold dear. That when the fullness of that time comes for them, whether it be Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, in one way or in one form or another, they'll find Christmas gifts to enjoy as they open them up. Of course, it's not to say that the gift, when revealed after the wrapping paper is shredded, lying all over the ground, it's not to say that the gift always outperforms the expectations. Sometimes it's very evident by the look on the little one's face. But the shredded wrapping paper... And the ground confirms this. The promise was not held in vain. Even big kids will get excited with Christmas anticipation, won't we? But the more mature kids, we know, don't we, that no matter how close to expectations the, wrap, the contents and the wrapping paper come, we know that the contents, we know well that the contents of the gift in Bethlehem's Christmas cradle confirm this that the promise made in ancient days to a world in its sin was not a promise made, nor was it a promise held in vain. It was God's promise of a Christmas fulfilled. Its humble wrapping, this gift, its humble wrapping and swaddling infant clothes rather than royal robes was probably and perhaps not what was expected by all the expectant. And neither, too, then, perhaps, was the presentation of this gift in the temple what the expectant were expecting either. Did the world expect an unordinary aura to be about that holy city that day, or did the world expect it as it was, a very ordinary day, that day in Jerusalem? Did they expect the expectant turtle doves to be sold as normally they were sold? Did they expect temple worshipers to offer up their prayers and priests to offer up their sacrifices as normally they would on any normal day? Did they expect the usual odors of the temple, the smell of blood and of incense rising, the smell of burning sacrificial flesh upon the altar? Did they expect unexpected visitors that day? Or did the expectant expect the very predictable temple clientele like old Anna, where one would find her night after night and day after day? Did they expect that normal would be the circumstances on this day when God fulfilled another promise that he had made some 400 years before? And when he last spoke prophetically to his expectant people through his prophet Malachi, and he promised and he said, And the Lord whom you seek suddenly will come into his temple. And suddenly there he was, all seven pounds of him. Promise made, 
promise fulfilled. Waiting upon promises can be difficult. Waiting upon God's promises and fully expecting them to come to pass shouldn't be difficult, though. His record clearly shows God is faithful. But often, though, and wrongly, we're predisposed, I suppose, not to wait expectantly upon the Lord and his promises, and perhaps that's because we've become so accustomed to the failures of our own promises made and not faithfully kept. We say, I'll be there, and we're not. We say, I do, and we don't. We say, I will, but we won't. The world in which we live, indeed our own lives that we live, they're riddled with promises left for undone. Lenders waiting payback on money promised as borrowers are left unable to fulfill their promissory notes. Patients left puzzled when a doctor's certainty is turned upside down. Political promises made by one candidate or another. Promises yet to be or never to be fulfilled. New Year's resolutions that never see the light of a February day. We grow jaded to promises. Promises made by others, even those that we ourselves make. We need not, though indeed, friends, we dare not grow jaded to God's promises. But as we consider it, and honestly so, we know well that to one degree or another, sinful doubt inside us overrides determined expectancy in all of us. Maybe it's in the big things in life, maybe in the little things. So often we're like Abraham, aren't we? Impatient Abraham, waiting on the promise of his son. Don't we, when we're waiting on promises too so often, don't we jettison God's promise for all the hagars of our own device and design? Or like Sarah, hardened to any hope, do we just laugh in the face of God? Oh, we of little faith, would we really? Would we really call God a liar? Scripture tells us, I have spoken, declares the Lord, and I will do it. He did it for Abraham. He did it for Sarah. And he did it as we recall our temple text today. God is not slack concerning his promises, even if it takes him 400 years. Suddenly, after 400 years to a people expectant, a people like Simeon, Waiting for the consolation of Israel, suddenly the Lord whom they sought came into his temple. Or should we rather say that the Lord's temple came to them, all seven pounds of him? For recall this and note it well that the temple, remember, was the gracious dwelling place of God among his people. God with man, the temple from which God's holiness And forgiveness would emanate to his people and to all mankind. The temple had been the location where the pure lamb's blood flowed for atonement. The temple was where the holy of holies stood among the unholy. And by proximity to it made them holy. The temple, God's dwelling place with man. Indeed, it hadn't always been a temple of stone either. From Mosaic times, remember, until Solomon, it was a tabernacle of skins in which God graciously dealt with and dwelt with his people. But to borrow words from the Old Testament reading, 
by a new name that the mouth of the Lord would give, namely Jesus, the temple of God's gracious dwelling. The temple by this new name, Jesus, the temple took on a new frame. The holy of holies was now cradled in Mary's arms. And indeed, John, in his prologue, we heard Christmas Day a couple days ago, he says precisely this very thing. He said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You say, where does it say that in there? The word became flesh and eskene in the Greek. Literally, eskene, from which we get the word skin. Literally, the word became flesh and tented and tabernacled among us. What an image John leaves with us. The holy word of God tented in human skin and flesh, the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily among his people in infant human frame. But indeed, wasn't it though for this very consolation of Israel, indeed of the whole world, that God became flesh and tabernacled among us? Wasn't it, though, for this ultimate day of sin's atonement on the cross that the Word dwelt bodily in infant human frame? Wasn't it to fulfill history's promise and history's hope that in the fullness of time this temple of higher name and this temple of infant frame was sent forth? It was precisely to fulfill history's promise that God Himself would destroy this temple on the cross and all sins with it, so that in three days he himself could raise it up again and raise with him the certain hope of all the world. Consider what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, Christ came as high priest of the good things that have come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this world, not of this creation, Not with the blood of goats and calves, he says, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. On the cross. It came to pass, just as he said it would. It is finished, just as he said it would be. And so knowing God's faithfulness to his promises, how then can we wait for them to be fulfilled in our lives? Well, I take you back to a day in which a man named Simeon was waiting in the temple. A man named Simeon, we find, living on a promise. The Lord had given him his word that he would not see death before he laid his eyes on Christ the life and he believed. He believed. It's not, that, it's not that Simeon's health didn't wax and wane throughout his days, leaving Simeon to wonder, is God really going to fulfill this thing before my time is up? He believed. But it's, it's not that, that the days didn't go on and on and the nights didn't find Simeon lying awake, thinking and rethinking as we so often wrongly do thinking and rethinking the reasonable likelihood that God's promises would come to pass. But he believed. He believed not through his own efforts, but in the only way that one can believe. The Holy Spirit worked through his word and caused Simeon to cling to that word. And so by faith, 
Simeon came that day into the temple to where he was told the Christ would be just like by faith. You came here today because the word told you, trusting that the word, as the word told you, that this is where you would find the Christ today. By faith, Simeon came into the temple and there, as promised, he beheld God tabernacling among us. As his eyes, probably aged eyes, met those infant eyes, that promise was fulfilled. God's promise fulfilled again. And he took him up, Scripture says, in his arms, and he blessed God, saying, Lord, literally in the Greek, despote, master, master of my life. Now your servant departs. In the Greek, it's, is relieved, is released, is dismissed. Lord, now your servant departs in peace according to your word, for mine eyes have seen your salvation. As if he said, you told me so, didn't you? Mine eyes have seen your salvation that you have promised and that you have prepared. And friends, I tell you, your eyes have too, and you know it. Your eyes too have seen his salvation. Spirit-given eyes of faith recognize Christ where he said he'd be found. Word and sacrament. Namely, in that supper too. Where he still tabernacles fleshly among us. Of course, without faith, one won't distinguish that meal. From any other meal, just like without spirit-led eyes to see Simeon couldn't possibly have distinguished Mary's son. God's son from any other little Jewish boy that day or any day in the temple. Now indeed, as one has put it, Simeon's eyes were open to this salvation, even though it was yet cloaked in the 40-day-old Jesus, still wrapped in infant's clothing. Your eyes are open too. By the Holy Spirit, through his word, your eyes open too to see the Lord's Christ, even though he's yet cloaked under bread and wine. Same Christ, though. And because what comes to you here is nothing less than what came to them in the temple that day, you lack nothing that Simeon ever cradled in his arms. You lack nothing that the Christ ever brought. You long for forgiveness. You long for forgiveness for what you've left undone. Well, then take and eat it as you so often do here at this altar. Because he's yours, do you long for the healing that the grown Christ left in his wake? Then take and drink it and expect it because in the fullness of God's time it will come to pass for you in a, in a fullness and in a healing far more than what this world could ever bring. God says to you, though, patience, good Simeon. Patience and cling to my word because the promise is yours and it will come to pass. It's no wonder then. Is it? And it's no coincidence either that having in word and sacrament, having seen the salvation of sins from sin's destruction that God's prepared, that, that rising as we do from this altar and from this table, that's when the church sings Simeon's song. And that's what we sing. We sing, Lord, master of my life, your servant now departs. I'm now released, released from my sins, relieved in good time from the bonds of the world. I'm now dismissed in peace. In peace because I know that nothing from my past, nor things present, nor things to come, will be able to separate me from the promise that's all wrapped up in Christ Jesus. 
And so in peace I depart, whether that be from this table or from this world. In peace I depart according to the promise of your word, which cannot, indeed, which never has failed me. For my own eyes have seen by faith your salvation. My tongue, tongue has touched it and tasted it. Seeing the salvation that you've prepared before the face of all people, indeed before even me. The promise, friends, is sure because the promise is his. I'll leave you with this thought today. The story is told of an old man, a father who lay dying. He lay restless and unable to be comforted and find peace. Because as he put it to his son seated there at his bedside, he said, For years I've relied on God's promises, I've thought on them, and, it, and now at this time my mind is, is so racked with things, it seems that when I need them most I can't even recall his promises to me. I can't even remember a single one of them, he said. Well, his son, who was sitting there listening to his father and, and stroking his silver hair with his hand, his son, without moving his hand from his dad's head, reached down with his thumb and he traced a cross on his dad's forehead where at first it had been traced in his dad's baptism many years before. And then his son said to him, he said, Dad, even though we might forget at times, it sure is good that God doesn't forget his promises to us. In a world, friends, of promises broken and left for undone, thanks be to God that he doesn't forget his and that they're never held in vain. Our parting prayer today is this, Lord Jesus Christ, clothed in your word and in your sacraments, dwell now in this temple that you've cleansed by water and word, that I may live or I may depart in peace knowing your word will be fulfilled. In his blessed name, amen.